What the fuck is up, world? Biali, Tlaltik, Bak. We back in this bitch. Another podcast for that ass. Another grito. Se ha dicho. Estamos listo para continuar. To continue along, we ready. This podcast journey, this philosophical journey, this motherfucking life journey, bro. The beautiful thing about this is that we get to grow together. And the beautiful part on top of that is those of you who have reached out and shown the ways in which you can, to an extent, say that we've grown together. Not trying to say because of the podcast itself, but be- well, it is because of this particular podcast in the sense that namely that it's what well, it's, it's the beacon that I've sent out. Right. And it's the beacon has been received by people who are going through the growing process with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying it's the, pro- the, the content of the podcast itself per se, that the, the impetus for the growth, but just your own personal growth along with my personal growth. We're all going through that process together and it's a beautiful thing and I'm excited to be back with another podcast so we can continue along with that journey from wherever the fuck it is that you're listening to this, bro. I list, I, I peeped. I'm not going to front a little bit of an ego check, I guess, now that I'm mentioning it out loud. I got to, you know, check myself. But um, I peeped some of the statistics from the podcast and yo, your boy, legit worldwide. OK, not every country, but more than I could ever have fucking imagine, dog. And it's a fucking trip. And the reason I bring it up is not to boost the ego, but to say like, yo, motherfucker, all these bitches talking about cultural appropriation, dog. This is me offering you my ancestral knowledge and wisdom. OK, in the hopes that if it hasn't if you haven't found, you know, uh, your own ancestral knowledge and wisdom but you're still deeply unsatisfied with the one that we've been fucking basically face fucked with in this world that we're living in, the Western Christian modality. You know, if that shit is a deep cause for your your hurt in life, the unhappiness that you're experiencing in life, I gladly offer you the teachings of my Nahua ancestors, the little bit that I know because your boy is still in the process of indigenizing, right? I never claimed to be fucking deeply embedded into it. Um, this is something that I'm learning of my own and the little bit that I do know I will gladly help share with you all. Again, fuck all these people complaining about cultural appropriation. I don't believe that this Nahuatl teaching is something that should be reserved anymore just for the Nahuatl peoples, you know what I'm saying, and their and their, and their descendants. If it can fucking help somebody in a country that's completely removed from, you know, what is now referred to as Mexico, you know what I'm saying? Like, of course, dog, like this is my invitation to you. Again, this podcast is the beacon to you. The knowledge that I'm dropping on this podcast is my invitation to you to help you, me, and anybody else who's potentially listening to this continue to grow and mature and evolve into better, more fulfilled, hopefully more actualized people. You know what I'm saying? So with that in mind, before we get into the podcast for today, I don't know if it's been explicitly clear just yet, but we're doing some Mexica Nahua philosophy today, dog. And before I get into it deeper, let me just do the quick fucking, you know, introduction of, in terms of the, the gram. If you're one of the peoples that are listening to this just via social media, or I'm sorry, via one of the podcast apps, what's up, dog? It's me, your boy, Ice Nice, and I welcome you to follow me along on the gram specifically, but also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, on the gram in general, though, underscore, or rather, OG underscore Ice Nice 13 is where you can find me. That's where I'm posting up most of the shit. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, if it's from there that you found me, welcome along, and I'm glad that you're listening to this podcast. So with that in mind, let's just get right into it, dog, because I got a fuckload. I got, let's see, 12 pages to discuss for today's podcast. Now, before I continue, for those of you who are listening along in chronological order, I know that I said in my previous podcast that I was going to finish discussing the effects of, you know, mass media and manipulation. But honestly, I never intended to go one after another episode wise. You know what I'm saying? I did intend actually to circle back to another podcast episode 
that I've been trying to honestly do for like fucking almost a year now. And that's on the Sean Carroll book on physics. Like, yo, aside from the philosophical aspect, I know I mentioned it before, specifically on the gram and a little bit on the podcast, but I really enjoyed the little bit of physics that I do understand. And I really wanted to get into a podcast on that specifically because I just keep putting it off and I keep putting it off and it's on my little vision board there. And I'm, I'm looking forward to just taking it off completely because I've completed the fucking podcast. But, you know, it's funny because there's this thing that I do when I'm fucking around and I'm sitting down to prepare these podcasts. And um, I, before, this is just something period that I do, okay? I like to start my day, well, with exercising. But when I actually sit down to start doing work and shit, I like to start it by reading that's like what i consider my work day you know especially now that we're strictly online and after i post up my lectures even before i post my lectures doc for the online courses and all that kind of shit you know what i'm saying before i get doing any like i consider my actual work to sit down and you know create intellectual products you know what i'm saying and one thing that i've always liked to do before i sit down and do so is read i just like to just fucking read and get some ideas flowing you know what i'm saying uh, at least for an hour or two different books just you know just sit down and read whatever i have here like available that i've been fucking with for a while I try to get a, like, at least a paragraph, or rather a paragraph, can you imagine that's fucking now? That's very convenient, asshole, one paragraph. No, I'm saying like at least a chapter from each book, you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, once the ideas have got started rocking and rolling, I've had a little bit of more coffee to drink, and that's when I start to get in, try to get into work, you know what I'm saying? And I intended for this to be the case with the Sean Carroll podcast, with you know, on, on physics. Um, before I started with the Sean Carroll book, though, I opened up my Nawa philosophy book, just, just to spiffy up. I was just like, yo, you know what, I haven't fucking really been investing myself too deeply into this Nawa philosophy and I need to fucking get back on track. You know what I'm saying? So I decided to start first with that book right there. And then somewhere along the line that just completely got fucking sidetracked because I was literally in the fucking, I was balls deep in this Nawa philosophy book, dog. And the idea of continuing a podcast on the Sean Carroll episode, it completely just, it escaped out of my periphery because I was just so mesmerized with the Nawat philosophy. It's actually one of the problems that I have with this Nawat philosophy book is it's very, it's obviously I'm showing my bias here. Okay. I'm sure you feel the same way about a particular subject or book. And if you don't, I look forward to the day that you do. But for me personally, obviously uh, Nawat philosophy, that's my fucking, that's my shit, yo. You know what I'm saying? And I'm fucking reading through his book. And for one, like it takes me a long time period. It's, it's, it's a very thick book. Okay. And for two, it's, um, it's, it's very philosophically dense like it's super super well written okay from a philosophical perspective the author covered all of his bases like there's just no room for fuckery in this book at all whatsoever it's beautiful in that respect right so on top of being long it's actually very like very hard to read through because it's you know you gotta it's not like just something you could easily digest you gotta fucking think about a lot of the shit i gotta refresh myself with some of the philosophy that he's discussing all kinds of shit you know what i mean and then on top of all of that on top of all of that he's fucking introducing these topics that are so new to me and yet so familiar at the exact same time. They're new in the sense that I'm finally gaining the philosophical knowledge to be able to justify them, but they're familiar because I fucking feel them in my soul, bro. I feel them like in my, in, this is my DNA, dog. This is the fucking DNA revelation right here is what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? And as I'm fucking reading through his book, like I just, it, it's like a fucking phantasmagoric reading where I get so deeply enthralled into it that ideas just start fucking flowing. And I, the next thing I know, Two hours have passed by and I've only read a section, like a literal section, five or six pages, not even a whole fucking chapter. You know what I'm saying? And I've got all this fucking wealth of information that I'm just, you know, have to basically sit with and fucking digest in, you know, in large sums in the sense that it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a brief amount of information, but it, it calls back to 
all sorts of things that this book has discussed in previous chapters, all sorts of different ideas that the book has introduced that I was already familiar with, you know what I'm saying? And just trying to piece together further this puzzle that is the grand fucking cosmology, the best that I can uh, potentially do here living in the year, quote unquote, 2020, under the brainwashing of the Christian European modality, you know what I'm saying? Trying to piece together the best that I could, just what it might have been like, even in the slightest ways in the times of my ancestors, you know what I'm saying? However, despite that, despite that, and this is where this is a fucking podcast might get a little bit fucking trippy, especially for those of you who aren't necessarily ready for this kind of conversation yet, dog. Like, I'm, I'm assuming if you're here, you are ready for this conversation. It's not that deep. You know what I'm saying? But I understand at the same time that it's a conversation that many people will look at me with, like with the stank eye, the side eye, like, what the fuck? Yo, what the fuck is this dude babbling about, yo? This motherfucker's talking about time travel. This motherfucker's talking about other dimensions this motherfucker's talking about being from a different fucking reality in a complete different time in a different completely fucking existence and traveling back in time and fucking dropping indigenous Nahua philosophy like yeah dog that's what this fucking episode is about and the reason is because as i was reading through his latest section from the fucking from this Nahua philosophy book that's what fucking hit me dog and it hit me because I was tripping out. It's actually pretty funny on the, the section that hit me. They were talking about sacrifices and specifically to the quote-unquote demons in the Nahuatl. They're not demons. They're titsinimis is what they're called, okay, which is the equivalent of a demon in Christian thought. But again, it's not really a demon because um, the concept of good and evil, they don't exist in Nahuatl, right? And we generally consider demons to be evil. That's not what's going on here with the Nahuatl, okay? But there are the titsinimi. And basically what they did is they would haunt people. They do haunt people in the afterlife, you know what I'm saying? They stalk, more importantly, more than haunt. But again, there's no malintention per se because everything is comprised of Teotel, dog. And Teotel itself is a fucking non-agentive being. So to ascribe some sort of fucking evilness to these titsinimi, these demons, right, would, it would be to ascribe agency, which would run afoul of this Nahuatl philosophy because they don't ascribe agency to Teotel. And if everything is made of Teotel, including the titsinimi, then it's impossible for them to be either good or evil. They just are, Okay. So that's the part that started tripping me out, dog, because I was just thinking to myself like, yo, what the fuck, bro? This is so radically different from everything that we've been fucking brainwashed to believe again by this Christian modality. You know what I'm saying? Where just the idea of a demon, let alone, uh, you know, a, 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 an offering to a demon is enough to make some people be like, yo, what the fuck? Like, this is this is too much. I can't fuck with this. You know what I'm saying? To which, again, I would remind you like, nah, dog. We're, the, the goal, you know, of anything, especially with this indigenization process, is to look beyond our fucking shallow Christian framework and be able to, you know, return to the ancestral ways of our, you know, of our predecessors. And the reason why it specifically started to hit me is because I've just been thinking to myself a lot like, yo, what the fuck honestly is depression, bro? I've mentioned plenty of times that your boy suffers from quote unquote depression, right? Um... But I don't, I don't really like to consider it depression in the sense of the Western word, you know what I mean? And the reason why is because the, you know, depression in this Western word is obviously devised by straight, heterosexual, well, straight heterosexual, obviously, cisgendered, I guess you could throw in there, um, wealthy, white, Christian, European males, bro. And honestly, I don't think their answer is correct in many respects. I'm not going to discount the role of science and I'm not going to discount, you know, the, the whatever it is that your, your psychiatrist has told you. I would say in anything, listen to what they're fucking saying, not the fucking mindless rabblings of some fucking philosophy professor. But I'm telling you, for me personally, being informed from the Nahuatl tradition, I find that this is very limiting, okay? This is very, uh, this is a continuation, if you will, of this colonial practice to try to dismiss other ways of viewing reality that don't fit within a Christian framework, 
right, within the, both the religious and the cultural framework of Christian people. And specifically, what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, uh, it may very well be that the reason I'm depressed, I'm, to use the indigenous parlance, if you will, sick of spirit, is because I just don't fucking fit into this world, dog. I don't fit into this reality that I'm living in. And that's okay, as we're going to come to find here as this podcast continues, okay? Now, in the past, it was, you know, I was compelled to use the language, this depression language, if you will, because it's the only language that I had available to me capable of conveying the ideas that are associated with what that feeling that is legitimized with modern times is, okay? Uh, I can't communicate to you, for instance, how much is the philosophy of language, right? I can't communicate to you, for instance, if, I, if, you, if, we, if we don't have a mutual understanding of what the word is, if we don't, if we don't have a mutual agreement about what a certain word that we've uh, you know, culturally de- uh, defined as conveying a specific feeling means, you know what I mean? And for the longest time, that was the only one that was available to me to be able to express this particular emotion, okay? Um, but as again, as I've grown older and I've gotten deeper into this indigenization process, I realized that really what it is, again, it's not this Western psychiatric understanding of depression. It's being sick of spirit, dog. My spirit is sick, okay? And again, why is it sick? That's going to be the, the recurring subject throughout, well, it's one of two subjects throughout this podcast. The second of which is going to be ritual sacrifice, okay? <laughs> Seems kind of like a stretch, but just bear with me and I'll try my best to lay it out for you. Now, uh, in returning back to the sickness of spirit, the reason is I just always felt, and I'm sure probably you have too, like, yo, I don't fucking belong here, man. What is that Radiohead song? I don't belong here. Something along those lines, you know what I mean? But honestly, dog, and I feel it in my soul, dog, for real, dog. And at my most Western fatalist, I say that my being here is nothing more than a mistake, okay? It's a mistake of two young people uh, who, you know, made the senseless decision to engage in, you know, unprotected sex as, as teenagers, no less. So not even real people, just really a little bit older children, okay? And because of that, I'm here now. Right is because of a fucking mindless decision by these two fucking grown, grown on the older end of childhood people, teenagers, right? My parents, my mom was 17 when she had me, dog. And it's because of that decision, that very ill-informed decision that I'm here in the first place. You know what I mean? And that, again, following it from this Western fatalistic lens, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fatalist because you under, the, the Western tradition, the materialist tradition is going gonna, is gonna to be very reductive in its scientific materialism and tell us like it's just a matter of chance and there's no reason why you're here other than the fact that your parents procreated and now you're here and that when you die, everything is fucking dark and you get reduced to the atoms of the earth from whence you came and that's it. Your entire experience of reality is gone. It's very depressing, okay? This idea that we're going to discuss here shortly. So yeah, man, it's like, in the most Western reductive materialist sense, it's pretty fucking depressing. But from an indigenous sense, and specifically in terms of the Nahuatl, at least the philosophy that I've been discussing, or ra- rather reading up on, um, at, it leads me to feel that I'm my most, you know, indigenized, if you will. I say it because it's I'm sent from the past, dog, to help heal the modern trauma in our bloodline. Like, there's no even, there's not even a reason, there's no reason for me to even fucking feel like some type of way about saying that. Like, I don't feel like I'm from this fucking current era. I feel like I'm a fu- I'm from the past, yo. And I feel like I've been sent to the future on some reverse Terminator type shit to fucking help heal the fucking bloodline, dog. He'll help heal the trauma in our fucking bloodline so we can return back to the prominence prior to 
the fall of our ancestral fucking, you know, greatness. You know what I mean? And honestly, honestly, as I'm getting older, I'm not even that old, dog. Okay. But as I'm getting older, I'm starting to align myself closer to the latter. Right. And the former and realizing that uh, the former is why I was so quote unquote depressed in my younger age to begin with. Right. Again, this reductive Western materialism, it's a pit, dog. It's an empty pit of meaninglessness and a lack of purpose. And at least with the latter, at least for me personally, it truly doesn't feel, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't feel as though this is necessarily the case. And obviously, maybe that might be my biases again, but it just feels, it just appears to be more intuitively correct. So yeah, dog, I fucking believe in time travel and I believe in spirits and I believe in ancestral guidance in blessings, curses, magic. I believe in the fantastic, bro. And I'm here to tell you that even in the most reductive Western lens, it's ridiculous not to, okay? And the reason why is because let's say that the fucking mathematicians are correct and that and philosophers are correct when we say that if we live in an infinite universe and that means that there's infinitely many fucking iterations of, of you know, of reality unfolding at any given moment and that there's infinitely many possibilities that are occurring within these fucking infinite uh infinite many number of potentialities you know what i'm saying including a potentiality where we're living in the past where we're living in the future and there's a way to fucking traverse between the two scientists are trying to figure it out dog this isn't fucking brand new this is you know the whole point of that fucking sean carroll book it's just in the interest of full disclosure like me trying to fucking learn more about like how is time travel possible bro how is interdimensional travel fucking possible bro how can I get back to where it is that I came from? How can I fucking send a beacon out to the past to let them know, like, yo, we're going to be all right, bro, right? How can I send a beacon out to the future to let motherfuckers know, like, yo, this is the work that we're doing now, whatever the case might be, you know what I mean? And that's what I'm telling you, bro. It's like, I'm homesick. I'm homesick for the times from whence I came, okay? And depending on your understanding of time, that place can either be in the past or the future, bro. It's it's the past in the sense that according to Christian calendars, at least it preceded in time, right? The time in which we are currently occupying. But it's also the future in that our ancestors were far. They are, dog. They are far advanced to what we're beholden to. Now, I'm not trying to sound explicitly ethnocentric here, but it's the fucking truth, yo. Much of the scientific insight that our ancestors discovered are only now being to be quote unquote proven true. There was an article that I read recently on Silence Alert on Facebook talking about how scientists have finally, finally, okay, quote unquote, as Western scientists at least, uh, confirmed that, yeah, dude, basically you don't sleep. There's no such thing as sleep. It's a continuation of consciousness, right? There's no two distinct states. There's not a waking conscious and a sleeping conscious. It's the same fucking thing, okay? And that while you were fucking sleeping, you're experiencing the same consciousness. This is not brand new, bro. This is fucking indigenous Nahuatl philosophy you have your tonali you know your spirit here and it just fucking separates from your your body when we sleep from the belly button and it trans it, tra it traverses into the fucking realm of, of of the sleep realm which is just as viable a source of knowledge for our in indigenous Nahuatl uh, ancestors as it is this waking consciousness like this is not fucking new is the point that i'm trying to state here you know what i'm saying but just because for some reason now science, quote unquote, Western science is coming along and be like, oh, well, it turns out that this is the same fucking reality. No shit, dickface. We've been saying this for fucking hundreds of years, but y'all refuse to listen because supposedly we were the fucking the, the, the backwards ones. Despite the fact that when the fucking Spanish arrived here to the fucking, you know, to to Turtle Island, they marveled at our cities, bro. 
They'd never seen anything like them. They marveled at the fact that our math was ahead of theirs, that we had an expert understanding of the stars and how to navigate them and our place in the universe, bro. You know what I'm saying? I say this stars part because it's important to start perpetuating this myth that our Mexica ancestors were lost wanderers, bro, because they weren't. They were following the procession of the stars. When you see me post on Instagram that we've been, the reason why I don't believe in borders and why I don't fucking fuck with this idea of an illegal person, undocumented person, is motherfuck a European border, dog. Fuck this militarized American border. Our ancestors have been walking these lands back and forth, north and south, east to west, dog, for tens, hundreds of thousands of years before a fucking European ever set foot on this continent, bro. Okay? The Nahuatl, the Mexica people, they weren't lost. They were following the procession of the stars and they just happened to get caught in the spot when the fucking Spaniards got here that is now defined as Mexico and south of the border and whatever the fuck else you fucking want to fantasize this uh, artificial barriers to be, okay? Um, the idea here is like it's the importance of stop of no longer believing the historical lies that have been created, man, by evil people that were seeking only to justify the genocide of our peoples and assert their alleged superiority, okay? And most importantly, it's a fucking appeal to stop limiting yourself, myself even, I have to remind myself constantly, to the narrow understanding of reality they created in order to justify this shit. So, nah, dog, I'm not fucking depressed. Again, I'm sick of spirit for many reasons, yo, and rightfully so. Um, I'm sick of spirit because I'm living in a prison, bro. This country, the society, but most importantly, human nature. Like, this fucking body is a prison, dog, right? For better, for worse, it's dope experiencing the human experience, you know what I mean? But being in a human body, it's a fucking prison, okay? Um, they're all prisons that I'm stuck living in, right? I'm homes, and obviously because of that, who wants to be in prison, dog? No one wants to be fucking imprisoned. And, you know, uh, this imprisonment is what's causing me to be homesick again from this future from whence I fucking came, bro. I hate living in a society and a culture that I don't fit into. I hate being fucking coerced to engage in it against my will because of capitalism. I hate that I have to find reprieve in the spirit-killing pastimes that this society and culture has offered us only in the means of dealing with this, like consumerism, alcohol, junk food, and so on, okay? But at the end of the day, I'm fucking... I'm aware, at least now more than ever. In the past, I wasn't aware because this knowledge was kept from me, purposely, if you ask me, by the colonial count of the fucking Europeans. But now as I've, as I've gained more of this knowledge, I'm starting to realize like, yeah, dog, uh, in the past, I, I was, you know, I, I found reprieve in all these fucking destructive patterns. But now that I'm here, you know, I, I, at least what I'm trying to say is I know why, at least I'm gaining an idea. Let me be very clear. I'm not trying to fucking put myself on a pedestal here. I'm gaining more of an idea of why it is exactly that I'm here. And that is, again, to fucking help heal the trauma in our bloodline, bro. But that doesn't stop me from fucking being homesick. You know what I mean? Um, motherfuck, again, dog, these modernists and their singular, narrow understanding of reality. What Fuck what they have to say, yo. I'm homesick for a reality that I belong to because this one that revolves around selling your labor and precious time in this existence just to survive to be artificially stimulated by material consumerism and fucking intermittent anesthetization in the form of drugs or alcohol, sex. You know what I mean? It's just not it, bro. It's not it. This is not fucking the, this is not the source of happiness, okay? Um, but again, I'll maintain nonetheless, okay? Previously, and partly still to this day, out of spite, but again, as I get deeper into this indigenization shit, out of the realization of my purpose, right? And that is, again, to come help so that we can collectively heal the trauma that fractured our spirits 
by spreading the fucking ancestral knowledge that sustained us prior to the imposition of this colonial prison that we're living in, bro. Like I fucking, I'm genuinely fucking believing in that. And that's why I started off by saying like, I don't give a motherfuck, yo, about this bullshit ass motherfuckers complaining, these fake woke fucking academic liberals complaining about fucking cultural appropriation. Fuck you, bitch. If you have that big of a problem, come try to stop me from doing this. Okay. First and foremost. Two, I don't have a problem fucking sharing with this. And I don't give a fuck if you're black, Asian, you know what I mean? I don't give a motherfuck dog white. If this knowledge helps heal you the fucking who gives a fuck about the body i just said this fucking body's a prison let alone the color of it it's the knowledge that matters to me dog and if this knowledge helps heal you bro like of course i want you to fucking have it so we can collectively heal the traumas together you know what i mean and um again that's kind of you know the point of this podcast right collectively heal this uh, this trauma that's fractured our spirits and you know it's funny because the roots of this podcast, they were sown by complete accident. Uh, what I mean by that is I had, again, this particular episode, again, I had actually meant to sit down and do the fucking, the Sean Carroll shit, right? But then I started like tripping on this section about the titsinini and about fucking death and all that kind of shit. And I was just like, nah, dog, as dope as fucking this physics book is, there's plenty of people out there who are doing the Sean Carroll episode, dog. But there's not enough people out there who are feeling, who are doing rather the the work of our ancestors, and, and it's not their it's not their role to. That's my role to. So I said, Nah, dog, we got to get this shit on point, okay? Uh, we got to get down. We got to sit down. And we got to do a fucking podcast on this fucking Nahuatl philosophy, right? So, um, in returning back to the roots of this episode, then, right? I was specifically, I was uh, the, the section that I was that I was discussing. It's the role of Olin motion change, okay? or lean motion change and the role that it plays in structuring Nahuatl cosmology, right? And, you know, again, I was just fresh off this fucking sacred session of communing with my mother, Mictecasitual, right? And aka La Santa Muerte, uh, La Santísima Muerte, or the Lady of Dead, the Queen of the Underworld, for those of you who, right, who are more familiar with her in that iteration, in that language. Uh, I had just offered her the incense, the ritual candle burning, you know, typical new age, quote unquote, shit that Christians fear. <laughs> and uh, the first part that I opened the book to starts talking about Oli and Olin and medicine and ritual. And the author, they start talking about how Oli, which is this kind of, it's gonna, I'm going to use the word Oli and Olin like in, in many extensive ways. But in this particular sense, it's a kind of a gum from trees that was used in everything from medicinal purposes to ceremonial purposes. And I was just like, bro, this shit is deep as fuck, dog. These Nahuas, they were some wild, wild motherfuckers. We are some wild. I keep telling you from the past, bro, sense to the future. And by the way, I don't mean wild in this Western English sense that implies the need for, civiliza- uh, for civilizing because fuck that colonial language and the, ne- the negative ramifications rather it connotes. That's not what I mean. I just mean like wild as in, yo, they were there. It's wild to me, okay? Trying to place myself in the fucking world that they're living in because it's so radically fucking different from the world that we're living in. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm talking wild in the sense here that their way of living and interfacing with reality was legitimately fucking different, dog, entirely so than that which we have today. And I said, yo, like for reals, quantum physics, dog, it's fucking, br- it's dope, okay? But it's going to have to take a back seat at this moment because this shit is important to get out. So in going back to this fucking, um, this Oli and Oli, I'm just going to do a, a brief summarization, right, of the role um, 
that that it plays and try to lay out in uh you know essentially how it leads to the justification of the ritual sacrifice that the Nahuatl, you know, would engage in. It seems like a stretch, okay? But for the Nahuatl, Oli and sacred blood, they were one and the same, dog. And the roles they played in their respective quote-unquote vessel, whether it be a fucking tree, a body like a human body, they were echoed in the greater, like the, the, the grand cosmos. Remember, everything is collected in this fucking Nahuatl monism. Teotel, it's all comprised of the same shit, so there's no distinction in this particular sense for the Nahuatl between sap from a tree and blood from a human being. It's the same fucking thing to them, okay? Um, and, you know, I started thinking to myself, honestly, like, how is this anything but quantum physics, really, okay? They were structuring uh, an understanding of reality and, and equating it, rather, to the natural world that they observed to be able to predict larger occurrences, right? Like seasonal changes, equinoxes, eclipses, and the like, Right? So if where it breaks, if anywhere, from contemporary science, again, if at all, is that unlike the scientists we have today that don't explicitly consider themselves to be part of the equation, the Nahuatl conceive of themselves as actively involved in this process because, again, they were monists and the idea of differentiation, it just wasn't in their lexicon, dog. Scientists right now, they have this very, this, the observer's effect is very fucking problematic in many fields of science, Right. Namely, how the effect, how the observer, the scientist, affects the outcome of the experiment. And there's fucking elaborate ways that they're trying to fucking undo this. But at the base of it, even fucking quantum physics struggles with being able to do so. They can't at this point, okay? So, um, this isn't a problem for the Nawa, dog, because this differentiation occurs when you perceive yourself as to be fucking removed from the experience that you're, that you're, you're witnessing, the Nawa did not, they didn't, they didn't, this doesn't make sense in their world, okay? It's not in their lexicon. They don't interface with reality in this way because they are inherently a part of all of reality. So there is no distinction between me giving you this podcast, you listening to this podcast. There is no distinction between fucking, you know, a person drawing the heart out of, a per, out of another person and, you know, offering it to the sun. There's no distinction between the person who's doing the carving and the person who's offering their heart or the sun. It's all one and the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So um, when it comes to this idea of the quantum physics, where the break is, if any, is that the, the Nawa were aware of this. They're like, no, nah, like, we're actively involved in this process. And to consider it otherwise is, is, is uh, irrational because, again, it betrays the monist uh, cosmology that they beheld, that they uh, upheld, rather. Now, of course... Uh, cursory knowledge of the Boar's problems will reveal to us again that try though they may con again this sounds fucking crazy I get it right for those of you who are so deeply invested in this dualistic under I swear to God Christianity and Platonism in general has done so much fucking harm so much more harm than potentially good like it always gets the good fucking people are always you know uh, uh, gassing it up for all the goods that it's done and yeah there's maybe some good shit that's come from it right but I, I swear me personally I can't help but feel, and this has removed everything from, you know, the genocide and the, you know, imposition of Christian thought onto the Nahuatl people. I honestly do feel like Christianity and Platonism in general, European thinking has done a lot of fucking, you know, it, it's doing a lot of disservice at the current moment, I should say, okay? Um, and the reason why is because, again, this fucking, this distinction, the, 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 the dualism as opposed to the monism, it introduces a distinction, right? So we get back to what's here, the, the Boer's problem. And essentially what this Bohr's problem, Bohr's was a famous physician or physicist rather, and it reveals to us that try though they may, contemporary scientists are basically incapable of removing themselves from the equation. So again, the only difference, if any, 
is the pretense that the Nahuatl removed from themselves by embracing the fact that they were part of the grand experience of reality unveiling and that they, like every other thing in existence, were not only animated by the same force, but that they, again, like everything else in existence, played a vital role in maintaining that existence by acting in accordance to the cycles that shape, bind, and advance reality. So they're saying, is like, yo, obviously reality is fucking unfolding in certain patterns. And obviously we are part of this fucking pattern and this reality. So we need to, you know, actively immerse ourselves and involve ourselves with the perpetuation of these patterns because doing so fulfills not only the purpose of why we're here, but it helps sustain the world that enables us to be here. You know what I mean? The fifth era, the fifth sun. The fifth era is dependent upon the fifth sun, okay? Now, again, in returning back to the start of this podcast, such a thought may seem absurd given that we're inculcated to believe that we as humans, again, are nothing more than the result of material processes, that we have no effect on reality in any way, and that to tie it in with the previous podcast, we're essentially irrelevant, okay? But honestly, bro, how fucking depressing and fatalistic is such a thought process, seriously. And y'all wonder, honestly, why motherfuckers are blowing their heads off left and right at a higher rate than never before. Furthermore, this is nothing more than, I don't know, like the reverse, I guess, privileging of the human experience in that we are falsely assuming that we, with our bullshit-ass limited senses and brief amount of time in existence, when compared to infinity, are the de facto source of knowledge in the universe. Like, I'll say it again. I've said it before. The human body is a prison. And it's fucking laughable to think that it's the fucking, <laughs> that it should be the guiding source of what we consider to be true in all of reality because there's so much reality that exists outside of the senses that we perceive that obviously our truth is going to continue forever, perpetually be incomplete, right? Furthermore, we haven't existed for very long as human beings when compared to infinity or at least 14, even if you want to take the, uh, the scientific route, 14.6 billion years, you know what I mean? Or however many, I think it's, yeah, 13.6 or 14.6, something like that. Billion years that the, that the universe has existed. Like humans have not existed very long compared to that. So to think that we are the fucking de facto, right, arbitrary uh, agents uh, in, uh, necessary to determine what is truth, what is history, like that's fucking laughable, dog, Okay. Um, and if you live your life according to these mandates, like I had realistically up until a couple years ago, it's fucking depressing. It's depressing, dog. It's fucking sad. And it leads to this fucking abysmal pit of nihilism that honestly, we're still stuck in. And that's what I'm saying that, well, we being the Western world is still stuck in, dog. That's what I'm saying is like when I said earlier that the European thinking has done more harm is doing more harm currently right now. Bro, European thinking has led to some great advancements in all of in all of reality. There's no doubt about it, okay? However, at the end of that thought is physical, reductive materialism that tells you you were born by fucking chance, you are completely irrelevant in the grand scape of the universe, and when you die, your experience of reality comes to a halting end. That is depressing because if that's the case, then why the fuck bother get out of bed in the morning, dog? Seriously, if nothing I do fucking matters, if the sun's going to explode and it's going to take any trace of human existence with it, as I've mentioned before in previous podcasts, there's no fucking point to anything. And that is fucking depressing. You know what I mean? This wasn't an issue for the Nawa because again, they didn't see themselves as removed from the process of the universe unfolding. They saw themselves as 
uh, as uh, actively involved in the universe, the process of the universe unfolding. They were the universe unfolding. You know what I'm saying? So they had a purpose. Every single person in the Nahuatl, in this, uh, following this, you know, the, 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 the reasoning of this thinking has a purpose, right? Now, it may not be a purpose that Christians, if you will, find necessarily, they might not find it good. I was hesitating using the word good is obviously I've already mentioned before at the beginning of this podcast, this idea of good and evil doesn't exist in Nahuatl. That's a Christian thing, okay? Second of all, let's not fucking pretend for a second like Christians have never sacrificed anybody for any fucking reason. And let's not pretend for a fucking second that we're not currently sacrificing people right now in the midst of a fucking pandemic, no less, okay? The sacrifice of people is something that unfortunately seems to be a fucking fundamental part of human nature, right? Whether we're sacrificing them to appease the sun gods or the economy, that's fucking entirely irrelevant, dog. It's still the same fucking thing, okay? Um, now, uh, it's that tiny part that, rea- uh, that really is the key point, right? This colonial thinking will have us talking shit, if you will, about the Nawa believing they were intimately involved in the structuring, shaping, and unfolding of reality, and privileging the roles subatomic particles play in doing so, despite the fact that the Nawa were, you know, they were doing was playing the same role as a subatomic particle uh, at a scale that we're familiar with. So what I mean by that is like, you open the Sean Carroll book, dog, right? And they'll fucking sit here and they'll talk about these subatomic particles as if you and I have ever even fucking seen one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and they'll fucking say that this is what structures all of reality, okay? Um and then they'll turn around and they'll fucking be like, yo, it's fucking stupid of the Nawa to think that they had any vital role in, uh, to play in the unfolding and structuring of reality. Why? Because they're not subatomic particles. Despite the fact that realistically, dog, what the fuck is a human being in terms of size when compared to a sun, if not a fucking subatomic particle? The earth itself compared to the sun is fucking tiny. And a human compared to the earth is even fucking tinier. So you compare that to the sun and an individual human being does not fucking even register in any way the same way that a subatomic particle doesn't register to the fucking naked human eye. So how is it any different? It's the same fucking shit is what I'm trying to tell you. And you want to talk enormity, bro. Like our sun isn't even the fucking, we're told at least, isn't even the largest sun in the universe. It's fucking actually pretty small when compared to all the other larger suns of the universe, stars of the universe. So again, what I'm trying to say is when we scale it in perspective here, you start to realize that these humans, us humans, the scientists, with our, you know, undoubtedly we've made some great advancements. But to think that we're the fucking, the, the end-all be-all of fucking truth, it's, it's kind of laughable, realistically, right? And to try to dismiss this not what fucking cosmology as not being in line with what current science is telling us is fucking, it's absurd, okay? Um, for many reasons, chief among which being the fact that doing so would imply that we're trying to view it through a lens that they did not even see reality through, and that is, again, a dualistic lens, okay? So um, this is why, like I tell you, dog, like this magic inside me, bro, this magic inside us is legitimately, it's the same as the grandest of suns, so how is it then that in turn, it could be nothing without, it's anything without us. So what I'm trying to say about this specifically, it's, it's only in the finite amount of time that time 
uh, you know, let, let, me, let me start this over. What I'm trying to say here specifically is that it's only in the finite amount of time that is our own unique existence is the concept of a sun even possible in the first place. So we try to remove ourselves from the fucking sun because we say, I am a human being and that's a sun. We're two complete different things. I am here. It's over there. No, dude, the sun, you, you're made of the same thing. We're made of the same thing. It's stay hotel, right? Science will tell you stardust, right? The Nahuatl would say, no, it's stay hotel, okay? And realistically, a sun can only exist to you in the time period. The sun can only exist, period, in the time that you're in existence. It may go on to exist for other people or it may not. Who the fuck knows, right? That's the problem of fucking uh, solipsism that, you know, philosophy still hasn't solved to this day. Does the universe come into existence when I come into existence? And does it continue to be in existence after I cease to exist? The immediate answer would lead us to believe that, yes, the universe has always existed and will continue to exist after you have. But is that really the case? Because as far as I'm concerned, the universe only exists in the time that I'm able to understand what a universe is. And once that time is over for me personally, there's no universe for me personally because there's nothing for me universe or there's nothing for me at all, period. So how am I really sure that the universe existed before I came into existence and that it will continue to exist after I did, after I, uh, after I cease to exist? You know what I mean? So um, again, and going back to the fucking, this idea, it's, 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 it's why then, it's, uh, you ask why, that we, why is it that we discount the role of humans in the unveiling of reality? We might scoff because of our Western Christian upbringing to think that the Nawa were silly uh, for believing that they were part of the structuring and unveiling of reality, but what's so silly about it, honestly, okay? Remember, this Aztec metaphysics specifically, it conceives of Teotel as this single, all-encompassing macro process that consists of this complex constellation of systematically interrelated and interpenetrating processes microprocesses <laughs> now that's a direct quote from the book that i was talking about earlier so you can understand the type of shit i'm dealing with every time i crack this bad boy open again it states this aztec metaphysics conceives of teotel as a single all-encompassing macro processes that consists of comp uh, of a complex constellation of systematically interrelated and interpenetrating microprocesses. That's just a very fucking fancy, complex way of telling us that the grand macros of the universe is fucking structured by the microprocesses of the universe. Or what fucking current physics is telling us. We're from the future, dog. We do not fucking exist on the same timeline as these Christian European people do, bro. The Nahuatl, we're already on this shit. We only privilege modern physics because it's the one that we're fucking told is the correct answer. The Nahuatl understood that the macro processes were arranged of a complex constellation of, macro of micro processes that interrelate with one another to structure all of reality, okay? And that one of these processes, Teotel, of Teotel, as a process, rather, uh, uh, I should go on uh, specifically to state that it goes on to tell us that as a process, Teotel itself is defined by how it moves, okay? Which, according to this Nahuatl metaphysics, unfolded in three particular ways. Malinali, Nepantla, and Olin, the one that I told you we're going to be focusing on for this podcast. Now, each three constitute their M, their own MO, if you will, of, of Teotel. They all have their own modus operandi of how they unfold. And what I mean is that they each, you know, have their own path of energy circulation and conveyance, a different pattern of causation, interaction, interrelation, uh, and thus a different pattern of change, becoming, and transformation. 
Now, the Nawa, they're going to believe that these patterns to be there. They, the Nawa believe that these patterns are imminent within the unfolding of reality. So when we say imminent, it's kind of what we mean when we say that the rings of a tree trunk are imminent within the tree. Okay. And together that these three processes that I just discussed, they configure the dynamics, if you will, of reality. Now, together with the two sacred calendars, which are the Tonalpo, I apologize for my terrible Nahua, the Tonalpo Huali and the Shipo Huali, right, which is the engendered, right, uh, the eurythmy, the shape, and the rhythm, and the current, they form, I should say, the uh, eurythmy, the shape, the rhythm, and the current cadence of Teotel, which should be understood as reality. Now, specifically what this is trying to tell us is that they work together uh, to order Teotel's agonistic, dynamic forces. And in doing so, they arrange reality, the cosmos, and all things. Now, I've talked briefly about these dynamic, dynamic dualism, uh, rather, dynamic, dynamic monisms, uh, especially on Instagram, but I'm not really going to talk about it too much in this podcast. For now, it simply suffices to state that what they are essentially is these competing pairs that, you know, they make up these relationships and these relationships can be observed in reality and that these relationships are in constant flux with one another, battle, if you will, and that that is what helps in the, it aids in the movement processes of reality unfolding and that these movement processes take three different shapes, right? Uh, Neplanta, Nepantla, uh, Malinali, and uh, Olim, which we're discussing today, right? So for now... It's, you know, it's, it's, we can focus just on the processive element, okay, is what I'm trying to say in Nahuatl process metaphysics, which conceives of change, becoming, and transformation as a species of motion or movement, okay? So what I mean by that is, for the Nahuatl, motion is understood in terms of both physical and qualitative change. So movement, what they're trying to say is that it doesn't simply imply shit like walking or crossing one's legs, okay? It also involves qualitative changes like being born and the subsequent transformation from infancy to youth to adulthood into old age and then finally death. That's a qualitative change and it's every bit as real to the Nahuatl as a physical change such as, you know, jujitsu. Uh, the distinction then, uh, it can be referred to as motion change. That's the distinction here, okay? And it serves, it's important rather, is that it serves as the foundation for Nahuatl thought on the fifth sun. Remember, I'm trying to get to the inevitably, I, I, I just, it, it blows my mind how quickly these fucking hours pass by. But I'm trying to get inevitably to the fucking, the justification for the sacrifice, the ritual sacrifice. And it's here through uh, the foundation, this ritual motion change, the way that the Nahuatl viewed the world, Okay on top of the fact that it's important in that it serves as a fundamental understanding of Nahuatl metaphysics. So what I mean by that is that, let's, in going back specifically to this only motion change, is, it, again, it's just but one of three principal patterns of change, becoming, and transformation of Teotel. And again, it's the one that I'm focusing on for this particular podcast. Um, before we get any further into it, though, I guess an, an important point that I need to clarify is that much of Nahuatl philosophy and language, really, it's built on what is referred to as difrasismos, which are words or sayings that are merged together, or in this case, uh, or rather to speak, they're merged together to speak, but in this particular case, in terms of philosophy, to convey truths metaphorically. Now, the use of metaphor in philosophy as a, as a, as, as a vehicle for truth, it's got a rich history, not just in the Nahuatl philosophy, but in other traditions as well, specifically the European tradition, okay? 
But it's here how our understanding, it's through metaphor that uh, how our understanding of Olin is going to begin and end, okay? For although Olin thus far has come to be understood as an MO of Teotel's unveiling, again, in Nahuatl language, it's also associated, this is where the difracismos are going to start to come into play, with the idea of movement, a very special kind of movement that they felt best represented was rather best represented through the bouncing of a rubber ball. Now, what we're doing here is what's referred to in you know European philosophy as a quote-unquote linguistic analysis, and it's going to reveal to us the intimate ways that Nahuatl people believed us to be interconnected with the grand totality of reality, right? In this sense, understood in terms of the olin, or the sap that exists within trees, right? Because remember complex microprocesses that arrange and structure the macro processes so the fucking the tree sap that's just a complex microprocessee a metaphor that conveys to us the knowledge and understanding of the macro processes as a whole okay um specifically in this sense because we start to realize well, well there's a reason why they greatly value this tree resin okay and there's a reason why it was so important to them as not only a medicine but as a religious offering, okay? And this reason ultimately is conveyed through the, uh, uh, through the game, the indigenous ball game of Ulama, okay? Namely because the rubber balls that they used to play from this game was made from this particular material. Now remember, the ball itself is a metaphor for the way Olin, or rather the structuring of reality, is unfolded. And if it's a tiny microprocesses of the macroprocesses, the idea here is then that witnessing these ball games and the bouncing of the ball is a way to convey a truth about the grander universe as a whole. Okay, um, that ulama rather is that is that uh, it's kind of like that soccer-like game with the hoops on the side of these inclined walls, and it figures prominently in the Nahuatl understanding of reality, right? Namely, in its ordering process, as we'll see, as we're going to see soon enough. Okay. Um, but before we get there, we'll talk a little bit about the resin. And the resin, essentially, it was cooked, okay? And it turns into, when it's cooked, into this stringy, quote-unquote, like substance that could, in turn, be molded into the shape of this ball whose properties were, again, jumping, bouncing upward and downward and to and fro. These are the movements of Olin, right? So Olin is understood as the movement which follows these patterns and in turn is identified with, drumroll, the sun, okay? Now, going back to this quote-unquote difracismo, it offers us insight into the nature of Olin motion change on both the macro and the micro processes, okay? Consider the quote-unquote stuff of Olin that the ball is made of, the tree resin, okay? Then consider that the Nahuatl conceived of this resin as the blood of the tree, thus connecting the olin quote-unquote stuff that the ball is made of and blood in this conceptual relationship. Then consider that this resin is considered to possess both medicinal and sacred properties, meaning that its use in any form, whether it be the balls that are used in the ulama game or whether it be in the form of medicine that's applied to a wound or an offering that you make to a fucking uh, a god or goddess, a tzitzinimi, whatever, okay? This is a performative act of the aforementioned. So what I mean by that is that, again, the resin flowing through the tree, 
the blood flowing through our bodies, the processes of engaging with both, whether it be in terms of withdrawing them, forming them into ball games, into game balls rather, or offerings, playing with these game balls, etc. This is considered to be a medicinal and ritual offering, okay? And it's from this sense that we get a third insight, which is that the ball of Ulama, it represents the literal and symbolic heart of the game, okay? And it is marked by its unique pattern of up, down, back, forth, to and fro. And lastly, remember that this is identified with the fifth sun, okay? So, if that's the case then, we have a relationship between olin resin, blood, heart, and life energy on one hand, and the olin-defined movement of up and down, back and forth, to and fro, of bouncing balls in the fifth sun on the other, okay? The motion change. So, if we're continuing along as a linguistic analysis then, what we're going to find is that olin motion change further includes things such as stirring, swaying from side to side, boiling, trembling, quivering, undulant circling, rocking, oscillating, rotating, and shaking back and forth type movements that extend across time and space. Again, time travel is fucking real in Nahuatl, dog, okay? Examples of this root word in usage? Uh, what? Oh, let me explain first what they mean by uh, extends across time and space because it's actually pretty fucking important. Uh, what they mean by that is that Teotel is infinite. Okay, so Olin is going to stretch from past, present, future. There is no fucking determinant point from which they start or which they end. They just extend infinitely. Okay, this movement pattern will extend infinitely. Right. So, um, and getting back to the examples of this root word. Right In usage, it's important to understand from a linguistic analysis part because they convey, again, ideas in Nahuatl, right? And some example of these words that demonstrate this olin motion change are olamani, which means to play ball, or olini, which means to abort without violence, or olinia nitla, which is the moving of the fetus or a newborn. And there are so many others. But what these particular words have in common is that the actions that they're expressing here, right, they all follow the same motion change of Olin that I just mentioned, okay? So what we're finding then is that this Nahuatl thought that motion is understood to, you know, uh, it's ha it has motion, it has change, and that transformation has a literal shape. There's a pattern to this, Okay which intuitively makes sense on one hand as we're accustomed to thinking of physical motion as having a shape such as running in a circle, but not so much in terms of qualitative change such as the birth, life, death cycle of having a shape, okay? Now, the shape, of course, of both is going to be olin-shaped motion change, which, of course, is becoming and transformation, right? And they are marked, again, by oscillation, undulation, and bouncing back and forth patterns that follows us, okay, in this arced, rounded, or curved path that revolves around a central axis. Now, this can include anything and everything, from the rising and falling of an earthquake to more complex pulsating motions like the beating of a heart or the curving motion of a stirring liquid. Whatever it is, this Olin-defined transformation process unifies dynamic partners such as life and death, day and night, and male and female 
by curving, rounding, oscillating, and ultimately centering them into a single process. So essentially what is happening is that these processes can be understood as cyclical, which I just find fucking fantastic, especially when it comes to the concept of death. Because again, it ain't the end, baby. There's always a bounce back. Yes, we like to think of death in this Western Christian lens as the fucking end-all be-all. We have to divorce ourselves of this fucking colonial understanding of reality because ultimately it leads nowhere but reductive scientific materialism that is buried deep in the abyss of nihilism, bro. This is not a problem for the Nahuatl. No one ever really dies, boy. Okay? It's not the end. There's always a bounce back. And on top of all of that, this Olin motion changes. It's vitalizing, meaning it gives energy to things and it takes the shape of shit like life-sustaining corn or fetuses stirring or and or even coming into existence. So essentially what's happening here is that this Olin defines the shape of coming into life. The shape of cycle completion. The shape of life energy as a whole. It is the shape, to keep it simple, of life of living, okay? It, is, uh, it rises and falls. It swings back and forth. It pulsates. And, you know, if we're going to further this, this linguistic analysis, we're going to trace this all-rooted word to other, ro to other, or rather, to their yol deviations, right? So we're just following a little bit. When we talk about linguistic engineering, man, like I, I, I got to impress upon you just how fucking amazing Nahuatl language is. They got deep with it, dog, because language, is, language structures reality, bro. You can't explain reality without having the linguistic tools to enable you to do so. And these motherfuckers had a language that was just a, a feat of just brilliance, sheer brilliance, okay? So what I'm trying to say here is that they go from this old rooted words to these yol deviations. Now, I know this might seem like a lot, especially for us non-Nawat speaking folk, and understandably so, for as, again, this Miguel Leon Portilla character who famously wrote, the Nahuatl language in general is nothing short of an art of linguistic engineering. So I'm going to keep it simple and just state that when we can understand yol words as being rooted in olin. So the ideas that follow are rooted conceptually in everything that we've set up to this point. And they expand on these ideas further with perhaps the most important of them being the yolia. Okay? Now, there's different interpretations, but for our purposes... Theolia is essentially understood as a vital force, okay? Now, according to the Nahuatl, Theolia is one of three kinds of vitalizing forces that are animating energies in the cosmos, along with Tonali, which I mentioned earlier, and Iyotl, okay? Now, in terms of, well, essentially what they believe then is that... Um, they believe these energies are present in everything, whether it be humans animals, plants, mountains, the wind, rivers, towns, okay? And that it covers the entirety of our bodies. But specifically, that it is concentrated in our hearts or what they refer in Nahuatl language, this Teolia, what they refer to, uh, they say this Teolia is, is concentrated in our hearts, which they refer to as Yolotel, okay? Now, together, our Teolia and our Yolotel, our sacred energy in our heart, 
They form the life-empowering, conferring, and sustaining energies of Olin motion change, okay? This is just a fucking very complicated way of saying everything has a heart, Brody. Whether it's you and I, the heart of a city, the mountain, a story, they are all have hearts and they are all marked by the processed pattern of Olin motion change. The Nawa believed this Yolotel, this heart, was the pe- was individual Yolotels, okay? It's just a piece of universal Teotel that inheres in everything in existence, bro. Meaning, again, we are not only all one, but we are all made of and comprised of this one vivifying force, implying that even objects we generally considered in the Western world to be quote-unquote inanimate, they're alive in Nahuatl, dog, whether it be the sun, earth, moons, mountains, beads, rivers, towns, trees, animals, insects, okay? They're all nothing more than animated composites of Teotel. And the human heart in particular was merely an aspect, of just one singular aspect of this universal vivifying force of Teotel. So... Uh, furthermore, what they're going to tell us is that this, uh, the, they liken the Nahuatl did the heart to a rounded bumping ball or stone and even associated the heart with a stone, right? This is important. It's an important point to make when considering a central point in Nahuatl philosophy, which is to make wise, if you will, strong, the countenance of the hearts and faces of people. It's also an interesting uh, funerary rite, right? It involves an interesting funerary rite where they placed a green or greenish stone in a person's mouth that would serve as a substitute for their heart, right? So just for those of you who are interested, right? Um, anyways, what we're trying to see here now, what we're trying to get to here through this is that we're starting to see how this Olin pattern of motion change, it's instantiated again with the up and down bouncing of a rubber ball, the pulsating of a human heart, and the beating of a human chest. We're slowly working our way up to the justification, not what thought of the ritual sacrifice. I appreciate you sticking it through for an hour already. Only a little bit more to go, right? So, of course, this all is tied into the oscillation of the fifth sun as it follows its path over and above Tlaltikpak and down under Tlaltikpak, Earth, okay? From east to west, it's also the same pattern of the stirring of fetuses in the womb, the contractions of childbirth, the trembling of earthquakes, the changing of the seasons, it's all ordered by Olin motion change. This pattern is orderly and ordering. It centers and act, it is centered rather and actively centers. It is essentially a stabilizing force. It stabilizes everything in reality, including the fifth sun, the era in which the Nahuatl lived. They lived under the fifth sun, so they were living in the fifth era themselves, okay? And since the fifth sun orders and centers the fifth age and all of its inhabitants, it stands to reason that Olin motion change defines the shape of existence, of the existence rather, of the existence of the fifth age and the shape of existence in the fifth age. We're all bound to Olin, well, yeah, I guess you could say we still are, to Olin motion change, okay? It becomes, in short, how. It's the how things are processed uh, in the process metaphysics, right? I speak of process metaphysics and Nahuatl all the time. This Olin motion changes how things process are uh, uh, in the fifth era, including 
how they live and die. So Olin then essentially was their heart. It was their essence of the Nahuatl people in this time. So ultimately then this motion chain, this motion change is tied substantially as well as conceptually to the becoming, the transforming, and the moving changing that constitutes all living and existing things. We're all bound to a lean motion change. And since this Olin motion change is centered in the Yolotel, the heart, it stands to reason that the Nahuatl highly, highly valued the sacred fluid that ran through it. Whether it was the aforementioned resin that flowed through the body and the heart of the tree or the blood that flows through ours, okay? The liquid rubber that emerges from the tree, the Nahuatl believed to be condensed motion change. And thus, that's why they used it for medicine, right? That's why they used it as a life-giving ritual for food for Teotel. The ball game from which the rubber was the, the, the rubber from which the ball for the Ulama game was made of, and everything that was made through the act of playing in the game. Again, they held that to be in creation, right? It was a, a ceremonial act. They're all intimately related, right? And the same holds true for human blood. It's just another form of condensed olin motion change that served as the nourishing energy of the cosmos. So we're starting to see now the roots of the justification for the ritual sacrifice. This olin motion change, they tell us, it moves back and forth between life and death. It is male and female. And it moves between being and non-being. Hence, unifying dynamic pairs. This Olin motion change, bro, it creates and destroys, and at least from our standpoint, should be perceived as both positive and negative, okay? It's the creative force responsible for renewal, for birth, for vitality, sustenance, and well-being, as well as the destructive motion change that's responsible for shit like fatal miscarriages, aging, death, Lethal earthquakes, it's the same fucking thing. Why? Because anything that comes into existence following the pattern of only motion change implies that it must cease to exist inevitably as well. That's the pattern that it follows, okay? Most importantly, this motion change is what will eventually disorder and destroy the fifth age in all of humankind. And it's here where we can finally come to understand the roots of Nahuatl ritual sacrifice. These weren't acts of brutal savagery, bro, like the colonial overlords would like to make it seem. Violent? Yes, unquestionably so. But not without purpose. Remember, blood is condensed olin motion change, and the heart is but a fragment of the greater universe. So the goal in the ritual excising of the heart was to seize its teolia and transmit, the teolia again being the sacred life energy, and transmit its life nourishing energy to both the fifth sun and the fifth era. Again, because all of life in the latter depended on the sustainment of the further. They were just trying to sustain and nourish the age in which they lived in, bro, essentially. Now, it sounds absurd when we historicize it, meaning we're looking back on it with a contemporary lens. But even in modern times, again, P. 
people are still afraid of the sun exploding in however many billion years and taking all of everything that's ever existed. So really, honestly, what has changed? Nothing, okay? We're still, scientists are still trying to figure out a way off this rock before the fucking sun explodes, at least what they think will inevitably occur in the explosion of the sun. So why do we look at what scientists currently have to say and be like, oh, this is something we should be very concerned about? And look at what the fucking, not while we're talking about it and say, oh, that's just crazy superstition. It's the same thing, okay? Uh, we, we can conceive of ways we can escape this jury fate now, sure, through our modern technology. And the Nawa acted upon it in a way that fit within their paradigm of reality. They were seeking, ultimately, to just energize the fifth sun so that it might continue moving and continue ordering and centering the fifth age in which they lived in, right? So, um, essentially then, what the Nawa believed was that the donor's heart, Deolia, it aided in this process, the sacred energy that existed within the donor's heart and the blood, it aided in the process of ordering and centering the fifth, the fifth age, of, by the continued nourishment of the fifth sun. So, specifically... They believe that, just to, just to break it down a little bit further, they believe that the male heart helped the sun ascend each morning and reach its zenith at noon, while the hearts of women who died during childbirth helped the sun descend from noon to night, okay? Now, it should be noted at this point that the women that who died during childbirth and their children, they were reserved the highest of honors and considered to ascend to life beyond a right that was generally only reserved mainly for warriors who died in battle. So again, this is just another instantiation of the way microprocesses uh, order macroprocesses. Warriors died in battle to preserve the Nahuatl way of living, namely from other forces who sought to overthrow them and end their world. Women and their children, when they died in childbirth, did the same by offering their fucking lives to sustain the nourishment of the fifth sun necessary to maintain life in the fifth era. So they, they value both equally the same and they reserved a very special place in the afterlife for them. Again, we may look on this as barbaric given this moralizing inherent with our conservative Christian brainwashing, but I urge you to remember that our ancestors did not operate and they did not interface with reality via this modality. That's Christian European thought that didn't exist in their culture until after the conquest, okay? So in returning back to this ritual sacrifice then, what we find is that the Nawa believed that this heart excision involved an energy transfusion, essentially, between humans and the fifth sun, much the same way that we think of them now between humans, right? We would like, we look now currently upon a, a blood transfusion between two people, right? As a good thing, the person who donated their blood to help another person survive. That's, we, we value that greatly. But remember, under Nahuatl monism, where everything is connected, there is no distinction between one person offering another person their blood via transfusion in order to maintain the second person's life and offering a uh, the donor's heart, if you will, and their blood to the sun in order to sustain the life of the sun. There is no distinction. Everything is connected, okay? And they consider this process a contribution of one's teolia to help renew the teolia of the fifth sun, right? And maintain life in the fifth era with the process transforming the death, if you will, of the heart donor 
into the life of the fifth son and the fifth age. Again, there is no death, only the transference of energy. And when the energy of the fifth son was running down at the end of the 52-year cycle, it needed to be re-energized and renewed by what they refer to as this new fire ceremony on pain of its, the sun's, dying, i.e. ceasing to move and change, which would bring about the fifth era's end. So, the Nawa, in order to avoid this, they sought to transfuse the energy of the Teolia rich beating heart and blood, and all participants, okay, were involved in this cosmic circulation and recycling of Theolia and other sacred energies, right? So, essentially what's happening here is that they're seeking to, again, these monists, they're seeking to sustain their way of living by offering to the sun the energy inherent in one person's heart to that sun's heart in order to ensure that it keeps existing. Now, an interesting, an interesting way, just as an aside before I wrap this bitch up, because we're well over the hour-long mark, and I appreciate your fucking patience to listen through it all the way through. But uh, this Theolia is sensed in the pulse Right And in our breath, and upon death, they tell us that this Theolia loses its association with a specific body. And when our heart, Yolotel, is extracted from our body, the Theolia's olin pattern life force travels through the sky, right? Now, in terms of ritual sacrifice, this would occur after it being fed to a fire, which would in turn transmit the energy to the cosmos for its particular purpose. Yes? And yeah... We made it to the very fucking end. So just some quick parting thought. And by the way, that was like, honestly, six pages from that fucking book. I'm telling you, that shit is fucking dense as fuck. Definitely recommend for those of you who are deep into Nawa philosophy or looking to do so, like myself, okay? Now, just some parting thoughts. Again, it's about indigenizing and decolonizing, bro, right? Recognizing all the ways that we've been taught to think of the world are not only but one of infinitely many, but more importantly, the one we are beholden to, it's extremely reductive and diminishing the quality of our experience, right, of our time here on Tlaltic Pak. It's not barbarism, bro. It's the recycling of sacred vitalizing energy, right? It's the ordering the uh, Teolia energy temporarily housed in the hearts of the fifth sun and the fifth era. So in returning back ultimately to the original point, the depression. One of the greatest, ports of, uh, one of the greatest causes of my depression as a youth was the fear of death. But there's no fear of death because no one ever dies. It's just a transference of energy, okay? So I'm not depressed, bro. My spirit is sick and it yearns for the vast world of wonder from whence it comes. And much like the healing powers of Oli, Nawa philosophy is that for me, dog, as it helped me more than anything begin to recognize the role that we play in the ordering or disordering of reality. I'm spiritually homeless, home, I'm spiritually homeless, homeboy, right? And slowly coming back home. And if you're spiritually homeless, I hope that you are seeking to come back home too. Whether it be through your ancestral traditions or mine. Whatever the case, right? It suffices to state that for me personally, it's been a saving grace from the abyss of nihilism. And it's frustrating when I see some of the more prominent elements of it be distorted for the sake of justifying the genocide of our ancestors. No, dude, I'm not with that. Fuck that. The Nahuatl saw themselves as intimately involved in the unfolding of the universe, not as detached observers, 
right? As reductive Western materialism would have us believe. We've been brainwashed, essentially, by Christianity to fear death, whereas the Nahuatl understood it as nothing more than the transference of energy necessary to sustain life on Tlaltikbak. And the goal, then, is to try to divorce ourselves from this brainwashing so that we can continue and hopefully live a better, more rich and fulfilling life for having done so. So, yeah. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. And until next time, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Peace.